This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome once again to another edition of the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. I'm Nathan. And I'm Bob. And welcome back, everyone. We've been off for a couple of weeks. We had to get some rest and respite, and uh, I'm seeing Bob's new home location for the first time in the background. Looks nicer than the uh, the old apartment. Yeah, it's not Mogadishu, so it's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So um, uh, we had we had some concerns, and um, I'll I'll let you talk about those later. I figure we probably do it on the yeah. twenty five on the on our Nerd Words podcast, which if you don't listen to, is our kind of supplementary podcast to this one. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, we've been off for a couple of weeks. Thank you guys for hanging out and waiting for us to get back to it. Um, first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to um, give some thanks to the new patrons because uh, we have a bunch of new Patreon backers. And um, we have a cool question that I think, Bob, you would be a prime candidate to offer some assistance towards. Word. So let's get the important part out of the way, and let's thank our new backers. Um, First of all, we have Dante PD, who's not necessarily a new backer, but he's backing us in a new way. So thank you. We have Jordan Hawkins, Andrew Kempf, uh, who's a new backer. And uh, Andrew Kempf makes, like, really cool metal jewelry that's like white wolf inspired so um i have i have nothing to offer you in the form of a place to check it out but i saw stuff on facebook and uh it looked really cool so if you're on our website i'll put a link in our profile or uh, put a link in this post so you can see it uh michael bourbon sam damon kevin jay parker marcel fontanez uh, and I apologize if I pronounce anybody's name incorrectly because I just learned how to read. Rob Howell, <laughs> <laughs> Jason McKean, uh, C.T. Phipps, uh, Lucas Asher, Anders Tibling, uh, Alexi Esti, Marcelo Guzmao, Dylan Brannigan, uh, Bruno, and I'm sorry this one is a little difficult for me, Pereira, I think. I think that's correct. And Brian St. Cyr. So thank all of you folks for backing us on Patreon. Uh, And that's this month and last month. It seems like a lot of people, but it's two months. So, you know, that happens. Still thank you, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome to see. Yeah. um, You guys really help us to keep this podcast going and to keep us functional. So we really appreciate it. So let's uh let's answer the question the question actually comes from andrew kempf um and so i wanted to you know not just like plug his stuff but he had a really good question too and i'm gonna let you take a whack at it and of course i'll jump in where i can um question what should i do with problem players that metagame for example uh if you had an individual at the table um, who thinks that his character has all the knowledge that he has from the books, but he doesn't have the lore to know them, um, he'll do things like start talking about uh, the Zemis uh, and the Oman War and the eldest is living underneath New York. Um, what should I do with characters that are, are unable to separate their knowledge from their character's knowledge? What I do is I set them up to seem completely insane. <laughs> that's the that's the it's the honest answer it's whatever way i can do to frustrate them 
uh-huh. to realize that they're painting themselves in a corner. Right. Because it's a, it's a story. And just because you've read it in a book and it's canon, you can really ruin it for other people. Right. Because what he said is, by you know, by this this person, this metagamer, I'm going to sit at the table and I'm going to ruin all the secrets the storyteller has so there's no story. And it's really limiting the ST. Well, not really, right? Because you're the ST. You can make this real or change whatever you like or adjust whatever you wanted to even if he's correct right and it's going to come down to how you roll it out to him now nothing is more frustrating to somebody who does that and more eye-opening than when they go oh i know zemis is living beneath the, the streets of new york well what happens when zemis comes up and pats him on the back right and he's not beneath new york right and he's right there and he's like i know who you are he goes you what me right. I, i'm just my name is lugach of course you know who i am right and they're like oh no you're zemis am i and you mess with him in that regard. And what you're doing is, is he's going to now think you're in this high-level game right. where I know what you're up to, ST, or whatever. And really what you're doing is you're showing him that's on the imagination, that we can have fun with this material and go as far as you want to go, but try not to ruin it for everybody else. Right, absolutely. Um, I think that uh, one of the things that I've found just in my personal experience is that m- metagaming or like this, this type of, of metagaming is... It's different in like a tabletop setting uh, than it is in a live action setting. And, and I'll explain. Normally, when you're at a tabletop, you have about five, you know, six, half a dozen people that you've, you've kind of vetted beforehand, right? These are like friends. These are people that are typically a bit closer, although that's not necessarily the case in all circumstances. But normally your tabletop group are going to be like a more tightly knit group of individuals. And so usually when I encounter a situation like that, the first thing that I'll do is I'll, you know, I I won't even take them aside because I don't believe in taking people aside in a tabletop setting. I, I believe personally that you're at the table things should be discussed at the table because there's no point in separating you and isolating you. So I'll say, Hey, you know, um, uh, player a, are you, are you under the impression that your character would know that information? Um, and that's why that you're using it. And sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes they go, Oh, I, I just thought this was common knowledge. And sometimes it takes that to be like, yeah. Th- so, that may be a story element, but it's not one that I'm using and it's not common knowledge in this game. And sometimes that's enough to just make them go er, and curtail. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they're like, no, that's the world and that's how it's going to be. And you'll go, right. okay, well, um, I'm going to need you to, you know, roll your occult or roll, you know, if you're using lores, I'm going to need you to roll this. And, and you might say, you know, this is more accurate to the world that we, we live in. So try to use that going forward. And if they're just kind of being stubborn in that sense, you might need to go, look, you're, you're having an adverse effect in the game. And this game isn't just for you. It's for everyone at the table. And so I need you to stop doing that and, and let me be the storyteller. You know, some people come from a group where it's kind of a mutual storytelling environment, right? And, yep. and, and sometimes their storytellers uh, are, are everyone at the table and everyone kind of gets to make up that story as they go. So sometimes you just have to tell a player, like, that's not how this game is working. That's not how this game is going. And then at the end, you might find out that player's just a schmuck. And they're just, I mean, you know, I hate to, I hate to say it so brutally, but sometimes you just have people who 
they're just not a good fit for your game. You know, maybe they're not a schmuck, but they're just not a good fit for your game. For well, you're, your you're not saying that they're bad in no. that term. It's just it's just that that term for me has always been somebody who doesn't is not aware of their own funk. Right. You know what I mean? It's like someone who skipped the shower after the gym thinking <laughs> they didn't work out as hard and right. they still carry a bit of that funk to them. Right. You don't mean to be rude about it, but someone somewhere is going to nudge them at the bar and be like, maybe go, go freshen up a bit. No, it, and, it's very true. And when it comes to that, I mean, I think those are those are all brilliant ways. I mean, that's if if they don't stop like what you said, just mentioning it, yeah, right. You're forced to be a little rude, right? You know, be a little more terse. And if they still don't get it, then you got to take it to that next step because you have probably four other people, right, waiting the game on. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, and absolutely. They just have to realize it, or maybe yeah, pitch it, pitch it to him to story tell. Right. No, absolutely. I see that. That's that's a really great idea, too. You go, you know, um, maybe, you know, when I'm done with this chapter of my game, you know, you you run a game or you you run a chapter and we'll see how that goes. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. But I I feel like at the same time as a storyteller, I feel like you're kind of the boss of gaming. And, And I don't mean like you should wade through your authority and kind of chuck it around the table but sometimes you have to administrate and sometimes administrating means realizing that someone just might not be well equipped for your team you know someone may not be a good fit for the group that you're trying to run and we've talked about this in a lot of our other podcasts like there are occasions where Unfortunately, when you take on the responsibility of being a storyteller, you take on a lot of hats. And some of them are like people are going to come to you and they're going to have issues that they, you know, bring to the table that you're going to have to learn how to wade through. And that can be very intimidating and taxing and it can be a pain in the ass. But it's something that um, you'll get good at if you do it long enough. And one of those is sometimes feelings get hurt through no fault of your own. You, you sometimes right. just have to tell a person, this isn't the game for you. This isn't the group for you. Maybe a different game, maybe a different group of people. You know, you're you're a fantastic player, but I just don't think you're going to fit. Right. That's tabletop. LARP is a whole other ball of, of wax. LARP is because LARP, it has like different animals. LARP has not just like I might storyteller. Like there's, there's some... Um, there's some natural embellishment that every player in a LARP is going to do. So you can't really police that as a LARP storyteller. What you have to really watch out for are people intentionally cheating, like taking information or conversations that they don't know and using them in game. And that's its own season of, of shit. It's really annoying is what that is. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's not hard enough. I have to titillate imagination and play fantasy time with everybody. Right. That we all do, which is hard. It's a lot of concentration. Now I have to worry about because somebody who wasn't involved that wants to be involved is going to hear a cool conversation, decide that that's theirs, right? To do what they want to, which ruins it for the people who built it. It, it certainly can. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that one of the important things to remember as a storyteller for a LARP is that you're you're dealing with now usually you know over a dozen different personalities, and you know we've talked about being at games and running games where there's fifty to a hundred people. That's nearly impossible to keep track of. So I feel like in that scenario, when you're running like a LARP, you want to make sure that that hard metagaming is kept to a minimum. And I, I think that it's important to, you know, to tell people like this is not going to be tolerated. And then at a LARP, 
and I don't know if this is the right or the wrong answer. This is just the answer that I've been able to devise. It's very important to be willing to go. The player count is not as important as sticking to running a good game and making sure that the people who are investing their time and effort into playing the game are enjoying themselves and not being chased away by cheaters. And I feel well, like I feel that that's the right answer. Yeah. And I just want to do that. It's the right answer. I, I feel like more so than in a tabletop setting, you're gonna have to be you're gonna have to be the boss and and be willing to show people the proverbial door. Sometimes that's and, just the answer. And and you're one of the most nicest guys I know to go about it in that regard because you do give a lot of outs. I'm meaner than you yeah. uh, when it comes to that. You know, uh, like let's full disclosure, maybe behind closed doors, Nate. Nate gets real heated and says what he says, but at the same time, the delivery is what matters. Right. And the delivery is always from a place of warmth. I have no such warmth. Uh, because <laughs> in my in my opinion, once once you cross a line with me, and I feel that's with any storyteller where you decided you're gonna be antagonistic, well, I'll be civil to you, but I, I'm cold, is what right, I'm saying. Right. Where it's like when I, I clearly get what you're after, and maybe it's not here, and maybe you should go. And right. why I do that is because I gotta protect everybody else, because in my view, Every player that sits down is entitled, entitled, like yeah. guaranteed to get personal one-on-one time with me as an ST right. and anyone else in the ST team. And because of that, we're developing direct fantasy stories for them and for, for them to play it. And if somebody's going to willingly come to abuse that, despite warnings, despite talks to, despite everything else, you're forced to be the administrator. And, and that's just what you have to do. Right. And, and to that, there's a right and wrong way, but it's never wrong to say, I'm going to have 99 players instead of 105 because I got to handle these people because I got to protect everyone else. Right. Uh, I think that that's an important key thing to remember. It's not that like aggressive or like play to win gaming is bad. It's, it's definitely not. It's just most of us have like this, we have this conclusion that we've drawn about the type of game that we're going to play. And we've, we've drawn those conclusions independent of everyone else's, uh, you know, everyone else's thoughts. So sometimes I, I feel like the most important thing to do is when you start your game, when you, when you take over a game or, you know, when you become the storyteller, you let the people know like, Hey, this is the type of game that I'm going to be playing. And these are the things that I'm going to tolerate. And these are the things that I'm not going to tolerate. And I don't believe in, I, I believe in a zero tolerance policy for the things that are important to have a zero tolerance policy about. And that's like physically touching people, like invading people's privacy, like, like criminal things. That's a zero tolerance, right? Like I'm not going to let anybody come to a game that I run and do drugs. That's a zero right. tolerance. But if somebody comes and they have a propensity towards metagaming or sort of like creative storytelling on the fly with their character, I'm, I'm going to let them know like, Hey, this is what's tolerated. This isn't what's tolerated. If, as long as you can play within those confines, I'm cool. And if then they violate it, then it's like, well, you know, you got to go, you know, we've there, already talked. There's one high level technique you can use too. Um, I have a edible, uh, chaps licorice outfit. <laughs> That I wear at the table and uh, nothing else. And what I do is, is every time someone metagames, I slowly start eating parts of the suit off. <laughs> and I let them draw their own conclusion. You know what I mean? It's like, how far you want to go with this, buddy? I what mean, color? he's going to eat the sewer, is he? What, mm, what color is mm. the licorice? Uh, the licorice is purple. I leave it to... Oh, wow. I like grape flavor. That's, I like grape. I was hoping you are going to go with red so we could... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we well, can, it's dark we, purple could be red. Yeah. It depends on the stain afterward. I was going to say, that way we could transition into the red sign. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, then it is red. Cherry flavored. We'll oh. go with that. 
All right. Well, uh, hopefully that helped you. Hopefully that answered some of your questions or you just like to hear us ramble. Um, <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> this week we are reviewing the uh, uh, the second to last book of the revised uh, canon, I suppose you could say, uh, which is The Red Sign. And um, this is one of those books that is, I guess I guess we could say it's, uh, it's a little bit... Uh, it, it's it's not a story per se that you would like necessarily take your your you know it's not it's not um, dust to dust right it's not ashes to ashes but it's basically giving you details of of a story to take your game to its conclusion right I kind of felt that it was a book so plot big mm-hmm. that they couldn't make an exact story with it right they're like they're like this is huge it's just <laughs> huge you got to read it to understand it and that's and that's that's how I felt when I read the whole the whole thing going yeah. through it. And uh, a long time ago, when I first got this book, I remember reading just the vampire part because it was shoved in my face. Yeah, this is going on. Know what it is? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. As it All happens, right. right. And uh, but I also got to reading some of the mage parts in here too this time around, kind of paying attention to what they got because I know a little bit about mage. Not that we're going to dive into that, but you know, it, I think it was done well for what it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For the most part, I mean. Starting with the fact that we have our notorious villain back again, right? It's Ambrogino Giovanni. Uh-huh. And what is the red sign? Well, it's a it's basically a ritual, right? The goal to defy God. Right. Right. Undo undo immortality and become human again. That's the entire book. Right. Like I enjoyed that. I enjoyed its simplicity. It was impactful. It was very powerful in saying that. A lot of people already are like, well, is that it? I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's well, yeah. So, so I, I mean, I, I agree with you, you know, I want to make clear, like, this is not a module book. Um, it's not, you know, your coterie steps through the doorway and they are faced with Ambrogino Giovanni and a cadre of mages. What do you do? It's not that this is, this is definitely like, here's what's happening. This is a conspiracy of vampires, uh, canines, kindred, uh, various places on, on both sides of the board. And what they're trying to do is they are trying to create a ritual, uh, like come to understand how the curse of Cain exists, where it came from, and then undo it inevitably. And, um, so like the vampire half, and, and here's the other thing too. Uh, this is something that I really liked. Um, you know, it's presented, here's your vampires, here's your mages, and here's like what's happening. Um, but it also states very plainly, like this is not normal. <laughs> and, and I think, I think it's imperative because a lot of people, I think this is just me sort of waxing, you know, analytical about like people's ideas of this game. I think that people read books like this and they were like, Oh yeah. Mages and vampires. They just chill all the time. They just like, you know, I, I know, I know what this is and I know what that is. And as a player, I, I really had very little experience with mage, right? I, I've basically focused most of my efforts on vampire, the masquerade, and then, um, you know, to a lesser extent, werewolf, the apocalypse, because those are the games that I played. And right. if I wasn't going to play mage, then I wasn't going to read the mage books. So I'm, I'm like, essentially like a mage novice. I, I know very little. I've played mage once. I had a great time, but I know only the confines of what that character possesses, right? That's, that's what I know. And so 
I never bothered to learn about mage because for me, if I'm playing a vampire, I don't know shit about mages. And I think they got to do a good job here saying like they don't know shit about mages. Mages don't really know shit about vampires. And they do a beautiful job in highlighting the motivations of both halves too, enough to make it to where um, vampires don't have to be killing mages and mages don't have to be going after vampires at all. Right. Because what is this doing? Well, let's 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 break it down in tiers real quick. You have the vampiric faction, mainly from Ambergino, and we all know about the the Super Mario Brother plot that the Giovanni were running throughout the entire twenty five years we've reviewed. Right, mm-hmm. everyone's they're trying to do these big rituals, these big moves. Right, you know, deoperize and become God. You know, through Cain. Well, this book kind of highlights in very short order what that was about. Right, it literally was to deoperize until you get to Cain, and then you consume Cain and steal God's power. It wasn't necessarily to just become God, so right. to speak. It was to take the position of that curse. You know, a multi-tiered archangel curse, take all that power into oneself and be, you know, Gen Zero, if you will, and just just be this living thing, whatever that would be. But they had no idea how to do it. They had no idea. They, they read some stuff and some ancient things, and maybe we could pull it off, maybe right. we can't. This says, okay, they failed there. They realized that wasn't working. So they're like, okay, we'll come up with this other ritual where we'll just thwart God again. And if we can, and if you know how to thwart a perfect being of omnipotence and omniscience, then we can do whatever we want. That's one theory. And that's what I love about this book. It's like, this isn't a conspiracy of five people sitting in a, in a hotel trying to figure it out. This right. is that, this goes across all sects, you know, Anarch, Sabbat, Camarilla. This goes across every independent clan. Everybody has a piece of this pie trying to get this ritual to work right? and figure it out. For various reasons, and, too. Right. And what, what's cool about that, that's not the mages. Right. Right? The mages are like, yeah, we can help, and we will. But uh, our motivation is uh, something simpler. For instance, actually, I'd say more pure in a lot of ways. The mages basically outlined the fact that we're doing this to figure out if we can circumvent paradox. Right. If there's a way, because that's what you're talking about here, vampires, you don't realize it, but you're trying to make a way to where reality doesn't apply to you. And if you could do that and survive, well, that's a massive benefit to us. Right. And what we could attempt to do, because all the mage factions, because despite what people think, there's really only one group of mages who are really bad, and that's Nefandi. Anybody wants to end a world and worship, you know, Chthonic entities and want to eat everything, those are the bad guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Every everyone else just has a different way of looking at the world. Right. And that's kind of how mage is. Vampire, you are the bad guys. You know, bet flat out, but you don't have the power they do, and you have this curse. So it's interesting to see how they put both of those sets together to try to work together to figure it out. And this is the important thing. Throughout reading the book, I enjoyed how they said this this elder's contributing vast amounts of resources and influence, but he has no idea how many people are in the network. Right. He doesn't get to see his team of people. Right. Absolutely. One group communicates through mirrors. I mean, this stuff is like, what, what is this book about? Right. There's a lot of times you're like, I'm getting to this ritual and it's going to be huge. Right. I already know it. And it's like, no, we already told you what the ritual was. (laughs) That's what I kept laughing about. Like, well, we already told you what it does. You get to become human again. Right. But then why am I still reading? Because it's really cool how we're building this up. Right. Well, and also, you know, they, they take a lot of time to build like this conspiracy and, and, and to give you ideas of how you can implement this. But, but they basically tell you like, do it or don't. Right. It's not imperative to, to anything, but it is certainly if, if this, if this ritual goes off without a hitch, 
uh, or, you know, goes off with a hitch. Um, it's, it's essentially, it's game breaking, right? They're telling you like, once this is done, you can't undo this. If, if one group of individuals can do it, they're, they're going to, you know, think of it like the atomic bomb, right? One group of individuals made an atomic bomb and it was, it was blown off. Like (laughs) everybody's got atomic bombs now. Right. So they're, they're telling you like, this is a, this is a stepping stone to the end of your game, to the end of your story, you know, and maybe that's not the end of your game. Maybe that's just the end of this story that that's, you know, uh, you know, maybe you're going to jump into this game it, after the ritual has already been done, right? Maybe, the, you know, but th- this is one of those things like once you take this step, you can't untake it. You can't take it back. So you need to very much think about this before you implement it. And what's cool about this is that it also tells you what if it doesn't succeed? Right. There's a massive section on, well, if you want... Like well, before we get into the crunch, right? That's what that's literally how they yeah, kind of put it. Yeah. So that was interesting. I, I but not to detract from what you're saying or like you know step aside too much, but this is the first time I've ever seen in a book where like the term crunchy and fluffy have been used to describe what we're talking about. Like I I don't I don't really use those terms very much, but to see them in a book, I was like, oh okay, that's where they came from, I guess. <laughs> right. It's like, but it was cool to at least know what they were talking about, right? right? And that's that's the awesome part about it. But they they describe how a lot of times in these books they give you the mechanics of how to go about this ritual, and they're like, "We really don't want to do that because this is again, this is huge. Right? You should make this as a decision as a storyteller to have it or not. But if you need the mechanics, here are a couple ideas to do. Here's some other ridiculous things you could do, and they get more excessive depending on how intense you need it to be. But then they outline this one thing. They said, "Hey, we don't even say this ritual works. Right? Right? Think about it." You want to defy God. You want to be human again. What if you're not? What if you go through and do it and you almost got it, but you didn't? And what does that look like? And what what does that become? And one of the cool ideas they have for mage is a term I had never heard. Um, it's called the Witterslant, right? Mm-hmm. The Witterslant is a dark-souled person. This is somebody who is destined to become, uh, I won't even say destined, but most likely to become and draw the attention of a Nefandis faction and be one of these world eater guys. And that's that's that. I mean, that's the long and short of it. And it says that this ritual makes you one. Like, whoever undergoes it, like, let's say you become a human, congratulations, but now you're a Witterslant, which isn't a congratulatory thing, right? It's like sooner or later, you're going to have to come pay it forward, and the cosmos has decided that you're going to be this sole source of evil. Like, there's no choice. It's like you become the Antichrist right. in a lot of ways. And... I was like, wow, that's a hell of a ritual to go through with this entire faction all banking on you becoming some powerful thing in there. And turns out they're correct. Right. Just not in the direction they thought it was going to be. Well, and one of the cool, like, core elements to this is the Tremere. And, uh, like, so immediately after the Tremere were able to sort of defy reality and become vampires, there was a contingent who were like, oh, we've made a terrible mistake. Like... And and the, anybody that plays mage knows like okay you've sacrificed the ability to alter all of reality with your avatar and and you know channel quintessence and like you're awakened and like mages are pretty badass they're pretty awesome you've exchanged that for immortality but like you don't have any of the cool stuff anymore right like you can't you can't do magic you can do this like weird bastardized like almost hedge magic version of what you were doing 
that that requires a great deal of work and effort and also you have to eat people every day um that's kind of a shitty trade-off so <laughs> essentially there there was individuals who were like yeah so this immortality thing is not all it's cracked up to be uh, let's try to figure out how to get it back and uh it turns out that's way harder and so now you have these like this contingent of Tremere that are are working within the confines of this conspiracy and they're trying very diligently to figure it out. So it's like basically all these blood magicians uh, across company lines, um, you know, we've got the Coldunes, we've got the Tremere, we've got, you know, the occasional follower of Set or, you know, the, uh, the Asimite that are working within the confines of this conspiracy and they're all doing it for different reasons. You know, they all want it. Some seek it for redemption. Some want it because it's just like, well, it's got to be powerful, right? Like, <laughs> you know, if I could do this, I could, you know, I could sell it, you know? And so I think it's very interesting. And um, so to me, this book really appeals to my interest in the conspiracy. Like, I really like conspiracy gaming if that makes any sense it does and one of the big things here that i enjoy is the fact that this is the first book they take their head off really their hat off to lovecraft yeah it's a like, big big overtly, thing in this book yeah like how to how to understand lovecraftian horror how to deliver it through a white wolf medium how to how to how to basically roll this out to where it's not boring like right. this book is about making an entire chronicle based around this ritual or how to take your game and mold it to include this book to come to some sort of end with it, good or good or for ill. And it gives you like three badass ways to have these tomes that people could come across or discover and how to roll this uh, chthonic style horror, uh, Lovecraftian style, mm -hmm. which will draw more players in. And, and, not, and I think it would draw people in who just like the conspiracy role play, period. Right. But I think you add the occult method with it, which is this whole thing. And then on top of it, you add that something big and nasty in the dark can be the result of this. You now have yourself one hell of a game, right? Yeah, you now that absolutely. rolls in. But I like how they don't do. They don't go around and go. Now here's the module for it, right? Yeah, they don't do that. It's and work in your own lab. I think it's kind of um, along the same lines as uh, the uh, the um, why am I brain farting of the previous book that we did um, the uh, uh, the Encanu book. I'm sorry, I like completely brain farting here. Um, uh, layer of the, layer hidden. of the hidden. Yeah, uh, I don't. I so I think it's along the same lines as that. Really, it like presents to you the concept of what the story can be, and then it presents to you the conspiracy or you know what what's what's going to play out, what could play out, some potential uh, concepts of what could play out, and then from there you basically take that and you turn it into your story. And I'll tell you. Uh, you know, we get down on modules a lot and, you know, for good reason. Like we've, we've been doing this for a long time. Modules are kind of, they're great for the first time you're running a game. I think, I think they, they'll help you as a storyteller and I won't take anything away from that. But these right. books, these are not modules. These are books that are created for expert storytellers or, you know, you don't even have to be an expert storyteller, but just like someone who's been doing this a while, someone who... Brave storytellers. Right. And, and gives you the roadmap to implement story into your game. And so I, I think personally, 
books like this are much better than your average module, your, you know, your, your dust to dusts and stuff like that. Not, you know, I keep picking on that book, but we haven't even reviewed it yet. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, modules I think are great for first time or, you know, you, you uh, the game just came out with a new version, like a V5, and I'm sure someone somewhere will have a module for it. There probably are some out there already. Um, but the, this kind of book where it has the the characters that are imperative to the story um, and kind of like a bunch of different options to implement it into your own game, I think that these are much better um, for running a game. And and that's a, and I think that that's the the crux of this book. Honestly, is that it's uh, in its entirety, when you read it start to finish, it leaves you feeling uh, with a sense of fulfillment that this is something that you like. This is the first book I read out of the whole series where I went, "This there's tons of potential here, right?" To do with whatever I like and whenever I like, and that's what I enjoyed about it is that they gave you potentiality and said, "Do what you're going to do with right. it." Right. And, and that was cool. I, I would say too, like this is a this is the kind of book where it's going to give you a bunch of like really interesting and fun ideas for occult stuff. Like, for instance, the vampire game that I run, there's not a lot of like occult stuff that's happening. It's mostly just like mundane and vampire politics stuff. But this gives you ideas on how you could take your game into into that kind of realm if you wanted to. I, I think that one of the cool things about Vampire is it lends to a, a whole host of different styles of games, all within the confines of one, uh, you know, one chronicle, you know, because you're playing vampires, because you are supernatural creatures, you are sort of ensconced in the occult, in the occult world, you can have just like a mundane spy versus spy sort of scenario and you could have someone show up with a arcane tome. Like this is all fair game, in my opinion. I don't know. One of my one of the characters in this book. I was trying to find his name real quick. Um, I think it was Aristophanes. Not a thousand percent. It's the Brewhouse Scholar with the massive book library that survived Alexandria. That's in there. Oh here. yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I don't, that, that's that's kind of a weird name. I can't remember off the top of my head. Well, why I love this guy in this whole book is because he's the one guy who said, "Yeah, I'll be a part of your conspiracy." Because when you're about to succeed, I'm going to wreck it. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was a... one of the coolest things to read where he was like, I, I'm a fan of God. And he, and he and he break it down beautifully. He says, you know what? God's the master of the soul. And the devil's the master of the phys- physicality, the human flesh. We were cursed, damned by God in this human flesh to be these creatures of the night because we screwed up. There's no circumventing that. You effed up to get here. That's why you are the way you are. Eat it, vampire. That's what it is. Oh, wait. You all developed a conspiracy to thwart God. Not only do I think you're not going to work, but on the eve when you think you are, I'm going to wreck it. Right. I'm ruining everything. So use my awesome library. And he sits back and waits. And I was like, that is uh, a fantastic character for for that perspective. Because often when you get these books, it's like every NPC is all about it in some way for themselves. And he's like, nope, we're (laughs) we're about to bring this back to God real quick. Wait. His name is Themistocles. The conscientious go. traitor. <laughs> now nah, it's a cool character. Um, uh, my favorite uh, is Duality, um, because I only ever saw Duality on a Jihad card, and right. I was like, "Oh, that would be a cool character." And I, I actually don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, in this scenario. Um, but I was like, "Oh, that would be a cool character." Like everybody 
that's played um, Vitesse probably has a duality card somewhere. It's like a pretty common card. And then to like actually see that character in print here and like to see kind of the spitting image of the Jihad card, like I was like, oh, that's that's awesome. I, I don't know if this character has been in print anywhere else. I don't know if it's like a long standing, no. but I don't I don't remember. I feel like that would have stood out to me when we when we reviewed Mexico City by night. That's the only other book I could conceive of this character being in because it's kind of where this character's from. Um, but I don't recall duality being in there. So I was impressed by that. I thought it was cool. It's a little little nod to the card game. So um yeah, and then um so let's let's talk briefly about the mage stuff. Um there was a reading through the mage stuff, there was a lot of information where I was like, Oh, I, I'm out of my depth. Um I feel like as a storyteller, if you're going to be using the mage stuff and reading this, you probably want to know mage fairly well. You don't need to for the story. Like at the end of the day, you can tell the story however you want. You could just be like, there are mages and, and, and you can tell the tale of the mages with like salt and pepper, you know, seasoning, little, little, little implementation, little, uh, little things about them. But like for me, as someone who's a, a, a deep novice, like I don't know shit about mage. I was like, well, I know, uh, like I understand a little bit of what they're saying. Like I understand what what the technocracy is. Like I'd have to like, but that I know what the traditions are. Um, but aside from that, I was like, I don't know what's happening here. So I feel like if you are one of those storytellers and there's a ton of you who are well versed in all of those games like you're going to be super well equipped to take this and implement it into your game if you're like me and you know vampire this will give you some flavor but it's probably going to be kind of hard to implement a lot of the stuff because you don't know mage and they don't pull any punches here they're not like well you can replace them with yeah, the, the mage's powers with aspects and celerity. No, they don't do that. They're like, here's mage no. shit in your face. And so. here's why. They break down mage traditions in here and by faction right. and tell you what their goal is and what they're about and what, what the point is. And they outline it. And if you don't know, you don't know. Right. And that's that's just how it has to be because this is like in-game stuff. Right. This this is something to get uh, to get their point. Right. If you're going to run with the canon stuff here, and I say canon loosely, but if you're gonna run with this book as is, as delivered, right. you need to follow the instructions to make this cake. Right. If that makes sense. And that's and that's just why. And at its core though, when you're when you're thinking of, you know, I don't know enough about mage, they do a good job of abbreviating. Yeah. Like saying, do. here's this faction, here's why they're doing what they do. Here's the hard part. If you don't care enough about mage, right. that's where you're gonna get hooked up. Well, and, and that know? was the thing for me, like reading through it, I was like, Wow, shit, I really want to read mage now. Like, and, and that was, I think, you know, like brilliant marketing on their part, but like it's the story that they're telling lends to you wanting to go and explore this other stuff so that you can get a better understanding of it. Like there is a whole world out there and there are other games and those other games do affect things. So it's important to know how one affects the other, especially when we're like converging to the end, like whose end will be the correct end. Well, what fucking difference does that make? I don't know. Read mage and find out. Right. So, yeah, I I mean, I would say, um, I would say this is definitely a good book to have, um, to implement some of these story ideas in, 
a modern day, you know, if you're going to be like throwing down the V20 books, obviously this may not apply. This could apply in a different sense, right? Like you could tell the story differently for sure. But if, if this is going to be your end goal to like, you know, complete the red sign and reverse the curse of vampire, you know, vampirism, uh, you probably wouldn't want to do that in a normal game. Cause again, it's like the nukes, right? And, and everybody's like, like you said, everybody's going to want it. I right. mean, that's, I mean, you're dealing with something. If I, we didn't hammer at home, I know we're kind of, we're not mellowing it down. It's just, you could spend a lot of time talking about this book because it's written to talk right exhaustively about it. It's the power level we're talking about, right? It's undoing the work of God, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I got to hammer that home, undoing the work of God, right? You have an entire group of people de- dedicated to do it, and it's up to you to tell that story if you want to run with it. Right. You also can deal with consequences afterward, and, right. they, and they give those options there too. So when you think of it that way and look at it, this book, it's like we there's no way we could tell – like much like when he wrote this book. We can't really tell you how to, how to end your world, <laughs> but uh, here's a go. Right. Have, right. have fun. Absolutely. So, um, well, I mean – I guess that's that's about that, right? Like, there's not really much else to say about this book. It's, you know, get it, read the story, and implement it if you want. But um, it's a well-written book, and it is, you know, it's unabashedly a combination of two, you know, of the mage and of the vampire. It's not the only one of its kind. Like, we've done a review for our, our Patreon backers of a, a book that I, I don't want to call it similar but we did a mage vampire crossover book and there's actually there's another one that they reference in here that's like a, a mage book with vampires so i'd be i'd be curious to to read that one too um but uh yeah it's a, it's it's a decent enough book uh, i was really well written and enjoyable to read and um you know it definitely gave me some ideas but also it got me interested a little bit more in mage and the conspiracies of that world and how i can you know play that game so so it's good yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> that's that's what that so is it's a uh, it's always a good thing when you can read a book and get inspired about other material i think right you know it gives you places to go to segue into yeah. so would you get it that's yeah, the question yeah yeah so um what's next week do you, do you know what's next week bob it is I'm, Ghana. I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it is gehenna uh next week we will be reading and reviewing gehenna the final night well we won't be reading it to you guys we're reading it ourselves and and uh reviewing it um for it's 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 the end of an era you know it's uh it's an interesting time and then we're gonna have uh four years i think of of no books something like that but we're not really going to wait four years to do a podcast we're going to do the next one next (laughs) week but um so yeah next week we're going to be uh reviewing the final night and talking about the scenarios for the end of days for gehenna and what that means and then we're going to come back the week after that with the vampire the masquerade 20th anniversary edition and um you know it's a it's a core book so core books are always one of those like um I mean, I, I, I don't suspect when we do that one, it's going to be like a V5 three-hour review. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, um, V20 is the book we most commonly use today. So it's, you know, it's going to be us talking about that. And, and I, guess, I guess what we're really going to have to do is we're going to have to look at the differences between 
the Vampire Revised and the V20 and what V20 has, because it's got a bunch of shit in it that the Revised didn't have. But right. also, what's what's and that's the other thing too. Like, there's changes in it, but it's like they're very small changes. There's not a lot of like huge, overwhelming changes be- be- between Revised and V20. And we'll try to go over those and try to encapsulate what that means and what you know what that means for us. But anyways, um, yeah. So anything else you would like to add, Bob? No, I, I just look forward to the Gehenna talk. Oh, yeah, it's always it's always going to be fun. It was fun when it came out. Yeah, it'll be fun to immortalize it. I do too, um, because you know it is the end of of an era. For us, it was the end of the game line, right? Like the, it was the end of everything that you know. They said, "Well, we're done making this game. Now we're going to do Requiem," and that was kind of like where everything changed for us. You know, I think we probably went. I think I think things as they were continued on for a couple of years, and then they started to sort of gradually like fall off because people were so dead set on this old game and they were unwilling to change and move on to this new one. It was just like a kind of a crazy little situation. But anyways, that's that. That is the red sign. We hope you guys enjoyed and we will definitely be back next week for a new one. So Bob, thank you, sir, for coming back. Um, Congratulations on the new move. Congratulations on uh, recovery of health issues. So Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be alive. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's good to have you. So, all right. Well, yeah. let's not let's not fucking waste any more time here. Let's let's move the gears. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, until next week, I'm Nathan. And I'm Bob. Hey, folks. This is Nathan from 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you enjoyed the podcast you just listened to, think about supporting us. For more podcasts, art, video, and gaming, go to utilitymuffinlabs.com. Follow our podcast on Twitter at 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook under our Utility Muffin Lab's name, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. Thank you again for your support. Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate.